Good morning, listeners. You are listening to Green Left Radio. And for your presenters today, we have myself, Jacob. And Chloe. Good morning. Oh, sorry about that. Just oh. <laughs> uh, um, I didn't set the volume up. Chloe good... here. Good morning, listeners. Okay. So, um, just before we um, start and announce what we have coming up in the program, I mean, just to note, I think probably one of the main things we're going to be speaking about in the program is giving a bit of commentary on some of the stuff that's happening in Comp 26, and we include, and we have an interview coming up later with um, the National Co-Convener of Socialist Alliance, Sarah Halfway, to kind of a bit of a kind of discussion about the Australian sort of contribution to Comp 26, and Scott Morrison's kind of announcement of committing to net zero by 2050. But we won't go, we won't make any comments on that yet until we get into the sort of interview. But before I start, I would like to acknowledge that. FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from the Wandry land of the Kulin Nation. I like to acknowledge that this always was, always will be Aboriginal land and that sovereignty has never been ceded. Okay, so I guess maybe to start, I guess, a bit of kind of discussion, um, because usually I guess probably one of the things that really has kind of dominated um, this kind of past week has been the Comp 26 um um, conference, which is the United Nations Climate Change Conference, um, which I mean, it's going to be, ha- um, which has been happening from, I think, last week, and it's going to be running yep. all the way to up to October the twelfth. Um, no, no, November the twelfth. And I mean, one of the kind of things that's sort of interesting is, I mean, it is where world leaders um, from all over the world are basically coming together. Uh, for better or worse, I mean, I think mostly worse, but I mean, that's what's the point. And mm. essentially kind of having discussions on how they're going to apparently address this climate crisis that we're currently facing. Now, one of the probably, one of the sort of, fac- one of the more interesting kind of things um, that I guess has come out of out of this is, I mean, I think the fact I kind of um, take in um, um, a lot of uh, a lot of inspiration from some of the comments that um, Greta Thunberg has sort of made uh, about Comp 26, which you know she she kind of made this kind of comment about how there's been all these there's always been there's you know paraphrasing um, her here you know there's been, she rightfully kind of points out that world leaders have kind of been meeting for years. Um, they've kind of been discussing the climate crisis for a, a number of years, and, it's, and they've always been talking about, you know, the type of action that they're going to be taking. But really, as sort of Greta Thunberg kind of points out, it's just blah, blah, blah. They're essentially nothing but kind of empty kind of promises because even, even the, you know, a, even the countries that are apparently touted as 
apparently world leaders in addressing the climate change. And, and in fact, one of the kind of, one of the kind of, um, there's been a lot of kind of, there's been a lot of kind of international media focus on, say, someone like US President Joe Biden yeah. as being uh, like a supposed kind of leader in climate change, especially in comparison to Trump, because Trump was a full on kind of climate kind of denialist. But, you know, really, the, the United States, um, despite its sort of commitments to or some acknowledgement of climate crisis, this is this is a country that is still committed to expanding oil projects. Um, and in fact, under the Biden administration, they're still continuing to kind of expand um, oil and um, oil pro- projects within the United States. And they're so essentially, in a sense, they're still continuing to kind of support kind of fossil fuels. And then I think there's also a bit of a there's a bit. This is not the, like the most essential point to kind of make, but I also think it kind of says something about the priorities and about the consciousness of a lot of these kind of capitalist leaders who are all you know coming down to Comp Twenty Six. A lot of these politicians have actually you know went down to Comp Twenty Six, flying down on private jets, um, which are mm. you know you know <laughs> when you consider the links between um, flight and, um, you know, in carbon emissions, you'd expect they, that some of these politicians would have a bit of a conscious and think a bit about the optics of... <laughs> I wouldn't expect them to have a conscious. Um, ...about what they're kind of doing. Because, I mean, you know, <laughs> ideally, I mean, you know, in fairness, in fairness, you know, obviously there's not much options to get to Glasgow other than taking a flight. But, you know, you'd expect that for a lot of these world leaders, they would actually, you know, put their money where their mouth is and actually take... A, a, a commercial flight to get to get to Glasgow instead of as opposed to opting for their private jets. Most probably outrageously on that score is UK Prime Minister mm. <laughs> Boris Johnson uh, has attended the Comp Twenty Six conference and then he's essentially going to be um, you know flying back to the United Kingdom in his private jet from Glasgow. And I mean, I'm I not think sure he what... smirked about it as well. Yeah. yeah, and I'm not sure what you know. What, what you know. You can actually take a train to Glasgow from yeah. from um, from England. Like, I mean, it might take like several hours, um, but you can actually get to you can you don't actually need a private jet <laughs> or a plane to get to get to Scotland from um, from the United Kingdom. So, uh, or Britain, um, um, more specifically. So, yeah, it's. A, I think it just sort of reflects a kind of number of kind of things, and I think. One, I guess, some of the other kind of interesting sort of issues, I guess, that are flowing is, I mean, even what, and we're going to be having obviously a discussion about this with kind of Sarah Halfway, because even in the context of Australia, I think there is probably a much, probably stronger kind of commitments um, from a lot of these, you know, capitalist nations in reducing emissions. But I think really the actual problem is, I think that my sort of assumption is that you know the the kind of there is a, there is a kind of there is divisions in the capitalist class around this kind of issue of the um, of climate change. So there are a number of capitalist nations who are wanting to sort of take serious action on climate change, but it's like their version of serious action is essentially just relying on market mechanisms uh, to undertake the transition. So yeah, there's obviously a, there's a number of countries that have made transitions to renewable energy. Um, some countries have even almost gone to um, almost get the majority of their emissions from um, from renewables. But um, one of the fine detail is a lot of these kind of countries 
are still um, are still exporting a lot of their fossil fuels to the global south. So essentially, we're make there's this sort of strange transition sort of happening where all the kind of global north countries are sort of I mean, except for Australia um, mm. and some others, but they 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 are some country. You know, a lot of the global north countries are kind of making some transition to renewable energy in terms of their domestic sort of emissions, but at the same time, they're they're still they're still um, they're still burning fossil fuels and then just yeah. exporting the pollution or elsewhere to um, global um, global south nations, which you know were always delayed. Um, they're, all, they're always sort of delayed because of the history of colonialism and imperialism that were always kind of delayed in terms of um, industrialising compared to the rich kind of Western capitalist kind of nations, and of course, you know, in classic sort of imperialist sort of um, fashion, you know, it's most of the kind of technology that's been developed in terms of renewables, none of that is obviously going to be given <laughs> to any of the, to, to, um, to nations within the global south to help make their own sort of transition. And of course, that's why I think, you know, this whole notion, I guess, of climate justice is a kind of really important sort of concept to kind of fight for in terms of this current climate when it comes to COP26. Yeah, we, I mean, we are all facing the threat of extinction. Um, even the rich and powerful, <laughs> but in the meantime, the burden of the climate crisis is actually faced by you know people from poorer nations, and you know they're already we can see they're already going through floods and heat waves, and uh, that's why it's so important to um, build powerful and sustained mass climate um, um, movements. Um, you know, one that actually, um, you know, where the populations of the global south are actually seen as allies and not targets, because, you know, lots of people in the global south are actually blamed, um, you know, for what's going on. But, uh, you know, I was reading, I've just been reading some of the international headlines, like in The Guardian, the headline is COP26, world leaders agree to deal, um, deal to end deforestation. I mean, these kinds of headlines, they're just really misleading, I think, Um you know, for people who don't have time to actually read the whole article, um, I mean, that sounds great, right? Ending deforestation. But then, you know, you see neo-fascist leaders like Bolsonaro signing on, even Scott Morrison, he's signed on to that. <laughs> he, you know, I mean, it makes you wonder why. But then you keep reading and you realize what these leaders have really agreed to do is to keep destroying rainforests for the next 10 years. Um, yeah, it's just... There is a very good reason Bolsonaro, you know, would have felt comfortable signing on to that deal. But indigenous peoples are calling for 80% of the Amazon, say, to be protected by 2025. So this is, you know, it's not, it's really not good enough. Um, and, you know, some of these um, declarations that they're making and commitments, they're not even binding. So they're not, it, it's, it's not like set in stone. Um, yeah, it's. They're really just delaying action and just it's it's all a bit of theatre, I think, just mm. to make people think that they're doing stuff. But mm. yeah, like Greta Thunberg said, it's just blah blah blah, and it's it's a little sickening hearing hearing world leaders talking about or, or or acting like they're worried about tipping points and feedback loops when they're actually not committing to any real climate action um, that is that is needed. It's you know they're really just forming agreements that are working. Uh, for them, um, the richest people in the world, not the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, I think that deforesti- um, deforestation thing is actually quite interesting because I think, you know, the fact is, um, as you kind of um, pointed out, Chloe, 
this um, agreement doesn't necessarily is not there's not there's no talk of actually abolishing deforestation. Yeah. And in fact, what they're essentially what they're essentially a lot of the countries are essentially agreeing to is. Okay, the, the justification is going to be that, oh, well, we still need to be shopping for um, logs anyway because we still need to produce particular commodities and goods that, um, that um, the, cap- the global kind of capitalist system is kind of rely- reliant on in terms of the transition, uh, in terms of the exchange of commodities. But really what, 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 what is actually kind of really happening there is they're basically kind of saying, oh, yeah, we, we'll, we'll commit to making sure we don't destroy the, um, the forest. So we'll make some, tra- we'll, at some point, we'll make some transition out of deforestation, um, and, you know, and we'll, we'll might, we might, we'll try and repair some of the damage we've done. There's, so there's a sort of vague commitments around that, but really, what would be more ideal is if that if that the governments were actually committed to banning logging in a number of kind of countries, like especially Brazil would yeah. be one country, and mm. you know that. But the the governments have made no real commitments. So you know the fact that um, the fact we have to be suspicious that someone yeah. like Bolsonaro can sign up to such a kind of deal because really the um, the actual practice of the Brazilian government has been. They're perfectly happy um, with letting the forest, um, the Amazonian forest, burn. Um, they're yeah. perfectly um, happy to um, let land clearing to make um, to make room for cattle farms, so they so that more <laughs> yeah. so that more beef can be produced for um, for McDonald's or some other kind of multinational kind of corporation. So I think you know all this is just I think hot kind of air, and I think it's also I think probably the more important thing to kind of really talk about is some of the grassroots kind of resistance on the ground that's um that's going to be happening yeah. so um you know one of the one of the probably more expiring kind of things that's going to ha- um going to be happening um or I think it's it's possibly happening today or tomorrow um actually probably yeah it's probably going to tomorrow be probably tomorrow yeah. or the day after I'm just thinking about it in terms of the time differences oh, yeah, between guys go yeah. so essentially the comp 26 coalition has called for a kind of a national kind of global day of action on the 6th of November so there's going to be, um, I've sort of checked the list, there's going to be um, large numbers of protests across the UK, um, across Europe, and also specifically in Glasgow. So thousands of people are going to be mobilising outside, um, protesting against the inaction of the government. And as you know, as Greta Thunberg, who is actually currently in Glasgow, um, speaking out at, at protests um, outside um, Comp26, you know, the real leadership is actually on on the uh, on the ground from the grassroots that's where the real climate leadership is coming from it's coming from the environmental activists it's coming from you know the trade unionists on the ground from the workers it's actually coming from the ground and i think you know these protests i think are going to be very important to um to continue to support and you know it's not like they're massive protests necessarily but i think you know it's a good kind of start um, that oh, they, yeah. that there is protests going to be happening against Comp 26, especially in terms of the, the complete lack of action from any of the governments. All right, so I might just go and we might take, shift this discussion to I think more the kind of local kind of context to Australia because we got to have an interview with Sarah Halfway. Um, National Co-Convener of Social Alliance. So I might just go play a quick announcement. Um, you are listening to Green Left Radio. Well, if you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, it's yes, you know where you are. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. 
check out the happy vibe. They're gonna ring up and subscribe if you listen to 3CR. Let's go, What? Who the hell's that? change we need to show broad community support. Show your support for walking and cycling in the city of Yarra by appearing as a champion on the Streets Alive website, representing your local street, neighbourhood or school. It's fast, free and simple. Learn more at streets-alive-yarra.org. A 3CR supporter. Alright, you're listening to Green Left Radio and on the line for our first interview, um, we were just ha- um, having a bit of a discussion early on about the kind of international kind of situation with Comp26. So we have National Co-Convener um, of Social Science, Sarah Halfway, um, who is actually, um, is about, um, has recently written an article about um, the Comp26 conference and Australia's sort of contribution to it. So yeah, good morning, Sarah. Morning, Jacob. Morning, everyone. Morning, right. Sarah. It's Chloe here as well. Hey, Chloe. All right. So I guess maybe um, possibly to kind of start off, I guess, this kind of discussion, kind of, Sarah, is um, like around kind of a few weeks ago, I think it was last week, actually, last week, um, Morrison kind of announced his kind of plan, um, his sort of groundbreaking plan about how Australia is going to be committing to net zero emissions by 2050. And I guess... What is, I guess, you know, from the perspective of, you know, a, of a socialist and someone on the left, um, what is really your your kind of opinion on Morrison's net zero by 2050 supposed climate plan? Yeah, well, I guess firstly, on the 2050 target, um, I think it's fair to say from a socialist perspective that 2050 isn't a target, it's a death sentence. Um, you know, all the climate science says that we need to get to net zero by 2030 at the latest um, if we're wanting to keep um, that warming at 1.5. I guess aside from that, just, you know, looking at Morrison's supposed plan, it's not really much of a plan. Um, I think, you know, there was a lot of memes going around on the internet about, you know, relying on magic and stardust to get us there because, um, you know, there's no new policy, there's no new investment um, and he's largely seems to be relying on carbon capture and storage. It's incredibly unreliable and faulty. Um, so, you know, I don't even know how we're going to get there by 2050, let alone 2030. Because one of the kind of things about this plan is, I mean, essentially it is just the current kind of status quo in in Australia because, I mean, there's not, there's not necessarily any change because really the implications of this plan essentially means that um, the federal government is actually going to continue to support fossil fuels. Um, they're going to continue to support... Um, they're going to continue to subsidise fossil fuels. They're going to continue to roll out sort of fossil fuel kind of projects. But basically, there's some commitment that um, 
and which I think has been a failure of the climate movement because I guess one of the sort of logical assumptions of this plan is it's essentially relying on an assumption that the market is just going to um, resolve itself and that, you know, they're gonna, we're going to exhaust all the fossil fuels and the profits of the fossil fuel industry and then profits will go down eventually for the fossil fuel industry and then gradually renewable energy sort of companies are going to sort of take over and then um, they'll, uh, the technology will be profitable. And, of course, one of the government sort of commitments on that is they will sort of make some intervention, um, and this is sort of part of the plan, which is, oh, they'll help lower down the prices of some of this kind of technology. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just ridiculous. And, look, to be there are some, um, you know, companies starting to lead the way, private companies, but... Without that political leadership, and as long as we've still got a federal government that are pouring billions of dollars into fossil fuel subsidies, like there's just no incentive there for, you know, companies like Santos, who we just cringingly even have on our pavilion at COP26 uh, and other gas companies. You know, why why would they transition to renewables if they're just going to keep getting handouts? for gas exploration and extraction. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a non-plan. And I guess the next kind of question to kind of go point is really... In terms of, like, you know, Morrison's kind of net zero by 2050 plan and also... Australia's, how do you think, what, like, what is your, like, political assessment of how Australia is in terms of what it's bringing to Comp26 even compares to other capitalist kind of countries that are coming over to the, the Comp26 conference in terms of their plans to reduce emissions? Yeah, well, we played a really appalling role. Um, I should say, oh, Scott Morrison and, um, Angus Taylor, our energy minister, played a really appalling role. Um, and it's, it's not just that, you know, we've gone in with our non-plan for 2050, but we've been, um, you know, actively undermining uh, other attempts or, or targets or proposals that have come from COP26 or the um, G20 summit in Rome before then. And the two examples of that is there was a, a global methane pledge was one of the key actions to come from COP26, um, and that's because, you know, methane is one of the biggest contributing gases. It was one of the easiest ones to reduce. Um, we're now up to more than 100 countries have signed on to reduce methane by 2030. Um, but Australia actively, you know, undermined this action and refused to sign on. And bizarrely, we're in this situation where countries like the US and the UK have signed on to this. And Australia is siding with China, Russia, India and Iraq. Um, so in terms of geopolitics, these are the countries that we would normally, I guess, be politically opposed to. And the countries that we generally be politically aligned to, we're not when it comes to climate. Um, probably the other thing just to mention is there was also a proposal for advanced um, economies to reduce coal by 2030 um, and uh, um, Australia managed to um, undermine that completely and that didn't end up going through. So we've just played an appalling role but I think it's important to make the assessment that other capitalist countries have let us play this role. Um, you know, we're not 
we're not being marginalised as much as we should be. And I think largely it's because, well, by comparison, people like Biden and Johnson and other world leaders now look really progressive on the climate front because they can point to Scott Morrison and say, well, look how bad they are over there. Um, yeah. yeah. And I guess, I mean, one of the kind of things that this kind of reflects is the fact that, you know, Australia as a country, you know, going, um, you know, le- given that Australia is like a set of colonial kind of state, um, that basically its foundation is based on the dispossession of Indigenous people from their land. And I guess one of the kind of um, inherent legacies of that has been the fact that the biggest sort of capitalists within uh, within um, Australia are within the mining, are, are within, yeah, we're mining. We're, we're essentially living in a, um, a country that is essentially addicted um, to fossil fuels um, and relies on it for the, at the kind of basis of, it, of its economy. And I guess... I guess in terms of like um, the alternatives, I mean, what can you say about in terms of like what are the kind of socialist kind of solutions and demands that I guess we need to be kind of fighting for in terms of the climate movement, um, especially in terms of addressing and um, putting um, challenging the kind of dominance of the fossil fuel capitalists over over the capitalist system within Australia? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we have kind of hinted at one, and that is the fact that both of our major parties are effectively bought and paid for by fossil fuel companies. Um, So, you know, those companies donate millions um, to both the Liberal and ALP, and then in return, you know, they give billions back in fossil fuel subsidies. And so, you know, we don't have a proper economy um, and if... I'm sorry, democracy, a proper democracy. And if you add into that the role that Murdoch... Uh, Murdoch Press plays in this country. Um, so, you know, for a start, just getting rid of private donations to political parties and having publicly funded uh, pol- uh, political campaigns at election time um, would stop that level of influence. Um, the other thing is, you know, it's not rocket science, something we've been talking about for a long time, but we need a rapid... Um, government-funded transition to renewables. Um, we just, you know, we need to electrify everything. We don't need gas, um, and we've known this for some time. So it's just totally bizarre that there's this push for gas at a time where you know all the science, all the technology is there that would allow us to completely transition away from gas to you know renewable-powered electricity. Um, you know, there's organisations out there like Beyond Zero Emissions. They have a number of plans to repower our manufacturing sector um, with renewables. So um, there's, you know, there's been a lot of talk recently about green hydrogen. Um, they've also got a million jobs plan. Um, and, and again, the data shows that there is more jobs to be created in the renewable sector than there are jobs in the fossil fuel sector. Um, so all the plans, all the data, all this technology is there, unlike the carbon capture and storage plan. We just need the political will and the political leadership there, and that's not going to happen as long as our parties are beholden to the fossil fuel companies. Hmm. All right. Well, um, do you have, um, Sarah, do you guess do you kind of have any kind of final comments you would kind of like to kind of make um, before we kind of conclude this kind of discussion? Yeah, I just think, you know, as we're coming out of lockdown, 
I'm here in Victoria. I'm sure you guys will give a plug. I saw there's a number of rallies on this Saturday, but, you know, the only way we are going to um, ensure there is that political will and ensure that there is any way forward is to get back out on the streets now that we can. So it's really important that we get involved in climate groups and we get to these rallies and we put political pressure on all parties mm -hmm. to take action. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, um, um, Sarah, for that. And, yeah, we'll def I, I definitely want to, um, you know, say to our listeners that there is going to be a Comp 26 um, protest happening tomorrow um, at 1pm outside the State Library, which has been called by Uni Students for Client Justice. And I think that will be, I think, an important protest to get as many people out on the streets, um, especially because it's really the big change is actually going to be coming from movements on the streets. The governments, um, or the governments aren't going to just listen to, um, lobbying and, and, um, just coming up with nice client policy. We actually have to force, um, the government to implement these, um, the changes that we need and we have to fight for it. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, All right. Thanks very much, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Okay, so we we're just um, speaking to Sarah Halfway, um, National Co-Convener of Socialist Alliance, about, you know, a kind of left-wing kind of response to the kind of Comp 26 kind of proceedings. And I guess just one sort of last comment kind of way, um, which I didn't, we didn't, um, um, about sort of um, just a bit of a comment I sort of want to make about the net zero by 2050 plan. But one of the sort of interesting things that um, Morrison has kind of noted about the plan is, it, um, there's a lot of kind of emphasis on technology. Um, so essentially what, and I kind of feel that there, just one sort of thing that has been kind of noted about the, um, within the client movement, that, but there has been this sort of ongoing kind of debate around the question of geoengineering. So essentially, um, a lot of, a lot of governments and, you know, some climate activists have put forward this as a kind of solution that, um, where basically, you know, all we, what we need is we just need, we just need to actually geoengineer the environment to kind of reduce the impact from, um, from climate change. Now, obviously, I think, you know, in terms of the science, I mean, I would acknowledge that, you know, there is possibly a possibility that there might, in terms of making some kind of transition, this kind of technology might be necessary. But in the context of when, um, the Morrison government is pushing such an idea. It's not about it's not about any kind of best interests out of the environment. It's actually ignoring the kind of elephant in the room, which is that the climate crisis is caused by the fact that we're continuing to build uh, um, to to burn kind of fossil fuels. And really, the only solution to actually address this is we actually have to radically change um, shift how the economy of this world actually functions. It has to be, there has to be a dramatic transition from, you know, from, um, from fossil fuels to renewable energies. And this kind of notion of just waiting for technology to reverse the damage. And in fact, it's actually quite sickening, actually, because really what the Morrison government is essentially saying is, we're happy to keep polluting the earth. Um, and we're just going to keep gambling because we hope that maybe there'll be some technology that will come out that will just reverse all the damage that we've done and that, but, um, but basically they, they're wanting to sort of basically say, we want to keep capitalism going as normal and we just hope that there's some technology that can reverse all the damage we've done. But of course, what if the technology doesn't get developed? What if it, um, um, like they take, they're essentially gambling with the very existence of our planet, um, because, 
um, because of their um, stringent commitment to supporting the profits of the fossil fuel capitalists. In, um, capitalists. Mm. All right, so I might just go play. I'll play a, just a quick announcement. Um, you are listening to Green Left Radio. The Black Lives Matter movement is not going away here or overseas. It gives me hope seeing the numbers of people that turn out to these Invasion Day demonstrations in Melbourne. It gives me the understanding that we will win, folks. We will succeed! Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio. And just to give a bit of a briefer from um, again, the discussion we we're having about um, Comp 20, Comp 26, from speaking a bit, um, having a bit of commentary on the kind of international situation and also the, um, also some others, I thought we'll go take a bit of a briefer and play a, a bit of a song. So I was going to be playing, let me quickly, I was going to play, I was going to play Breathe In and Breathe Out by Filma Plum. You're listening to Green Left Radio.
All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio. Now, for the next kind of part of the program, I thought we would have um, would draw on some articles from Green Left um, to give a bit of report backs on some of the some of the latest developments in international and Australian kind of politics. So, the kind of first kind of um, thing I kind of want to talk about is this is an article that's just been recently kind of printed, um, drawing up in an article, but I think some people have probably been aware that in the United States there actually has been a wave of um, strikes um, led um, by workers. And, in fact, it's been referred to as Strike Toba. So, essentially, Malik Mia, who's the writer of this article, um, you know, reports that thousands of workers are on strike in the United States which is what has been kind of dubbed Strike October. And in some cases, bosses are using replacements, scabs to cross picket lines and keep the profits um, flowing. So 
the the com- some of the commonalities of some of these strikers has been that they're fed up with um, poor working conditions, forced overtime, sixteen hour shifts, low wages, and few benefits. And then this this strike wave has been led mainly by essential workers who really kept um, the economy running um, during the COVID-19 pandemic. They can't work as um, at home as many high-paid tech workers are able to do. And the class struggle really is, I guess, on the rise as workers take on their bosses in industry after industry. Tens of thousands of working people have been super exploited during the pandemic, yet caused to raise the minimum wage to um, $15 an hour were laughed out of Congress. So that, you know, that is one sort of background to these kind of strike waves that is kind of happening. And one of the other interesting thing that Malik kind of points out, and this is actually something that does have some commonality with the with the situation in Australia, um, although not completely, but a record 4.3 million workers quit their jobs in August. Many of these resignations were due to low pay and working conditions, with low in, um, in unemployment and few benefits. Workers are saying enough and and taking other jobs. Others are t- hitting the streets, telling employers that without them, there are no profits. And I think, you know, this strike wave reflects the working class anger at the employing class and at the failures of the democratic government. And at least 18 strikes began in September, October or earlier. And just mention just a bit of point of comparison with um, Australia. Now, Australia is not having any sort of strike waves like the United States, but as a kind of a result of the impacts, I guess, of the COVID-19 pandemic, there is some trends that indicate that we are going through a bit of a labour shortage. Um, so I think, you know, that, that there is um, potential um, that, and especially since there is also potential that there will be some attacks on wages and conditions, um, especially in the context of um, the government wanting to make us bear the brunt cost of the COVID-19 pandemic. So another kind of things to note is um, in terms of like manufacturing, um, Malik kind of points out about 10,000 John Deere workers across 14 factories went on strike on October 14, demanding better pay and healthcare con- um, coverage. Um, their union, um, the United Auto Workers, um, has been negotiating a new workplace agreement um, with the company, which has more than doubled its net worth since last um, net income since last financial year, and can clearly afford to raise wages. And the workers who have fueled, um, who fueled the turnaround in company sales aren't buying what amounts to a one dollar an hour wage rise for most employees. And, and a tentative agreement um, was rejected by 90% of union members in a vote. The UAW um, is one of the oldest unions in the country and had recent success for Volvo workers in Virginia. However, its leadership is, you know, in some sense, and this is not that uncommon, is a, it's certainly kind of out of touch with the kind of sentiment of the, um, of the rank and file workers. UIW members at, at John Deere have organised on a Facebook group called um, Post 97, referring to employees high, hired after 1997 with worse wages, benefits and pensions. The current tra- contract for more Post um, 97 workers would be a six cents raise from what pre-97 workers made 10 years ago. And the company's proposal to cut um, pensions for all new hires, cut creating a post-21 workforce, runs up against a moral opposition that aligns with a new economic playing field, causing many workers to tout as a core demand of the, the strike, no third tier. And then going in, maybe you can possibly read a bit, you can read more on the Green kind of left article, but then 
going into some of the other sectors that have um, been impacted by this strike wave, there are more than 34,000 healthcare workers at KSA, which is um, a managed care costume um, operating in California, Oregon and Washington and Hawaii, authorised strike action on October 11. And the yes vote was, um, was 96%, and this strike will be commencing in early November. And... Potentially, the workers there are demanding a 4% wage rise for each of the three years and a commitment to hire more nurses and healthcare workers to help with staff shortages. The initial company offer for, offer for a two-tiered wage system was also rejected. And I guess, I think one of the kind of interesting kind of things about this is the, um, the unions are actually, um, demanding um, both a wage rise, but also simultaneously a commitment to hiring kind of more workers, because one of the kind of excuses that capitalists will often make is that, oh, well, you know, if we if we we are to sort of raise wages, we won't be we will have to cut workers. So the fact that the union is using its leverage to um, the workers are using their leverage as workers to demand more workers, um, I think is actually a good thing, especially in the context of, you know, the, um, of course, the fact that, you know, the high rates are kind of unemployment. And I think, you know, there's also, um, there's also more than t- 700 engineers in, employed by the Kaiser in the Auckland San Francisco have also been, um, on strike since early September. And then there's also been strikes in the food industry, um, with, you know, more than 1,400 members, um, went on strike at the food manufacturer in Kellogg's, which is, Everyone probably knows that's a major kind of um, cereal producer in, in Australia. And, and of course, um, one of the kind of things and is, you know, McDonald's actually, interestingly enough, announced that they would be raising minimum wage for their employees, which is, um, which is good. But the raise only applies to their corporate-owned outlets, which is really only 5% of their outlets are around the world, so not its franchises necessarily. And I think the the other there's just been lots of just to kind of note this is I can't necessarily kind of go into kind of everything um, from this article, but really there's been there are, there's been strikes reported in industries such as tech and warehousing, coal, iron and steel, and I think this is I think definitely a very kind of refreshing refreshing development in the context of United States politics. And I, kind, I guess as sort of Malik kind of concludes in the sort of discussion, you know. The, 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 the strike of Toby is an indication um, that, you know, workers no longer see their working future tied to what the ma- mainstream political parties and Congress do. And then I guess, you know, the power of these strikes and the rank-and-file militancy could seek, signal a shift and revitalization of the movement, especially in the context of unions' decline. So, yeah, I might just go play um, a quick announcement and we might just go on to another quick news story. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself 
or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300-111-500. That's 1300-111-500. Wellways supports 3CR. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio, and I'm just gonna we'll go, I'm just gonna pass it on to Chloe to give a bit of a report from um, a, a Green Left article um, relating mm. to Australian kind of politics. Uh, thanks, Jacob. I just wanted to mention an article in Green Left this week called "Housing and Homelessness Workers Push for a Better Deal." It's an article by Angela Carr, who is uh, a ASU delegate, and she's worked in uh, housing case management, so she's seen the level of exploitation by both government and the bosses. Um, yeah, I was. I mean, it's it's been pretty tough for housing and homelessness workers, especially during a pandemic. Pandemic. Um, Angela talks about how motel accommodation was initially provided to house vulnerable people, but I mean, it was just a temporary measure, and it's, it doesn't really address the structural problems of unequal access and lack of affordable housing that we have in this country. Um, and solidarity to the Australian Services Union, the ASU members at Launch Housing, that um, they went on strike on October 25th to demand that housing and homelessness workers are paid properly for their work. Uh, they want a fair deal, including a classification review and the right to genuine consultation. Um yeah, and I mean, this is fair because, I mean, the, ra- the role of housing and homeless workers has become more complicated due to decades of government neglect of the housing system. Um, this is what um, Angela has written. It, it's, it's also linked to the fact that, you know, a lot of the people working in um, – well, I was actually just thinking a lot of the people working in housing and homelessness and other community service work are actually women. And, you know, as we know, under capitalism, women and any work performed predominantly by women is often undervalued and easily exploited, and a lot of work goes unpaid. Um, and also the biggest and fastest growing group of people going homeless are women um, because, you know, they're retiring on very low levels of superannuation. Um, they don't have enough permanent paid work uh, and breaks in their careers from child rearing and other caretaking responsibilities. And this is just an example. These um, housing and homelessness workers do important and complex work, but it's still very undervalued. And so workers receive low wages and the workforce is heavily casualized. So, um, you know, these workers are also very stressed out and, you know, having to deal with, you know, people who are going through, you know, very traumatic situations um, where they don't, you know, they don't have a permanent place to live. It's, yeah, it's very scary um, having to, to deal with stuff like that. And, um, you know, there are some people with mental health issues and maybe families that are going through domestic violence. So it's a tough space to be in and they do deserve to be paid more. Um, and while they support the community, these insecure contracts and casualiza- casualization that they have to deal with are actually leaving them vulnerable to housing insecurity themselves. Um, so it's an interesting article. You can read all about it in this issue of Green Left, so check it out. Um, I'll hand it back to you, Jacob. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's um, definitely all kind of solidarity kind of to the workers um, fighting for kind of better wages and conditions. And I think, you know... Um, it's a, I think it's definitely, I think it's definitely got a welcome kind of thing, and I think yeah, we definitely got a. Um, I hope they can continue. Um, they'll continue to fight, and that they'll con- and they'll and that they win their kind of demands. 
Anyway, I might just go play. I'll play a quick announcement. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio. And just a quick kind of news story I just sort of wanted to bring up because I think this is a very kind of outrageous kind of story. But one of the, um, probably all our listeners have probably heard that um, the four-year-old girl, Cleo Smith, was um, successfully kind of rescued, um, which I think, you know, all welcome kind of news. But I'm not necessarily going to go into kind of that. I'm going to go to, I guess, another kind of aspect of the story, which is the role, the appalling role that Channel 7 um, um, played. Which essentially, Channel, Channel Seven essentially, um, and essentially there, there is a, there was an um, a Indigenous man, um, Nemal man Terry Flowers, who was essentially wrongly named as Clero Smith's abduct, um, abductor. Um, and so what, um, what, um, what kind of had happened was basically he shared the name with, I think, um, with the perpetrator in this kind of incidence, and then of course his um, likeness was posted randomly by someone on social media and then channel seven essentially then took that and basically misled misled the public and basically you know in their classic sort of um racist sort of way of depicting this they essentially you know basically falsely accused him of being the perpetrator they they eventually took um the photo down but you know from the perspective of the man who were um who was wrongly identified terry flowers you know, he, he reported that he experienced serious distress, mm. serious mental anguish at the at the notion of being wrongly identified by Channel Seven. You know, he he was in the hospital with his um with his child and his um partner while this while all this kind of blew up on the on the media, and yeah, he had a panic attack and was so distressed that he needed medical treatment. Like, I think this is just completely outrageous. And you know, the fact that I mean, Channel Seven has since apologised, but you know. The Channel Seven, in you know, has done. This is not the first time that the uh, that Channel Seven has, you know, relied on sensationalism and you know f- made false, you know, um, declarative kind of statements. 
And um, I mean, the, I mean, probably the positive thing about this story is um, Terry Flowers is actually intending to sue mm. Channel Seven, and I think all power to him um, for doing that. And I think I hope um, kind of wins because I just think this is completely kind of unacceptable. And, you know, just kind of, I think it's just also a reflection of how racist Australian society is. Um, and also, you know, just also kind of an example of how, you know, how wrecked, wretched the kind of Murdoch media is, um, especially Channel 7 in, in particular. But yeah, um, I might just go, um, since we wanted to go be, make that story quick, I might just go, I'll play a quick announcement and then we'll go on to the Green Left Activist Calendar because we're going to be starting our next interview a bit um, earlier than usual. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855am. Solidarity Breakfast, your Saturday morning serving of union and working news, current events, opinion and talkback. Every Saturday, 7.30 till 9am, here on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial. change we need to show broad community support. Show your support for walking and cycling in the city of Yarra by appearing as a champion on the Streets Alive website, representing your local street, neighbourhood or school. It's fast, free and simple. Learn more at streets-alive-yarra.org. A 3CR supporter. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio. And now it is time for the Green Left Activist Calendar, um, highlighting some of the upcoming events that are, um, that are going to be happening. So the first event I kind of want to highlight is there's going to be the Comp 26 Melbourne Speakout at 5.30pm outside the Liberal Party HQ at 257 Collins Street. And um, this protest has been called um, by workers... Um, um, basically being called by Workers um, for Climate Action and is being supported by Friends of the Earth um, and Act on Climate Victoria. This is um, this is look um, this this protest is demanding 100% public renewable energy by 2030. No new fossil fuels. No false solutions. No to ScoMo's gas recovery. No just transition now. Funding for climate jobs, etc. So I think this is going to be um, I think this is going to be I guess an important kind of protest that's going to be um, going to be happening, and I think it's going to be part of the wave of kind of Comp 26 protests that are going to be happening um, in this weekend. The next kind of action to kind of highlight is there's going to be a community action, Moreland Client Cup, Race to Zero Admissions. Um, and this is going to be a bit, uh, this is a bit, this is a community kind of protest supported by, by various sort of climate groups and community groups within Moreland. And it's going to be taking place across three locations across Moreland, um, including Coburg Library, um, near Coburg Moor, War Park on Albion Street in Brunswick, Cox Reserve at 20 to 24, um, 40, um, 22 to 40 Murray Road, Coburg North, which is also known as Newlands. So yeah, this is a rally that's been, um, that's been called in response to, um, the Comp 26 coalition as a global day of client justice, you know, demanding 100% renewables, join, um, and calling for zero emissions by 2030. And just note, this is going to be a COVID safe event that will involve groups of fully vaccinated people gathering at 
free locations in Moreland in line with in line with the Victorian government's roadmap. So yeah, I think this is um I think this will be a good kind of um a good sort of small community action to go do. And then the next protest is going to be the um I think the most important one, which is there's going to be a rally Comp 26 Global Day of Action, and so that's going to be happening at 1 p.m. at the State Library, 328 Swanson Street, and that has been called by Uni Students for Climate Justice. And then the next event is there's going to be a um there's going to be another rally on Sunday, Free the Refugees, Permanent Visas, and that's going to be at 2 p.m. at Lincoln Square in Swanson Street in um in Carlton. And then the, the the number of other events to kind of note is on Sunday, November the 4th, 14th, there's going to be a forum, the ALP and the left at the new international bookshop at Trades Hall at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton. I think you have to be, um, you have to book for that, um, for that to, um, to be able to, um, attend. And then there's going to be on Monday, November the 15th, there's going to be an online forum, um, together in literature, uh, 100 years of Penn International. And then on Wednesday, uh, November the 16th, um, there's going to be a public forum being organised by Socialist Alliance and Green Left titled um, Comp 26, a left response. Um, so that's been organised, um, that's going to be happening on Wednesday, November the 7th, um, the Wednesday the 17th at um, the Resistance Centre, level 5407 Swanson Street. And the event is also will be online via Zoom. So yeah, if you check the Green Left website, um, you'll be able to sort of get the details on the Zoom link and all the details. And yeah, that's going to be featuring, um, uh, veteran socialist activist John Molyneux, um, from, um, who is based in Ireland and is also being, was also part of the Comp 26 coalition, which is, um, part of the group that is organizing the mass, um, the protests outside Glasgow and, and is also part of, um, um, organizing the, the counter, um, summit, which is the people's COP, um, Comp 26 kind of people's kind of summit. Okay, and then the next kind of event is on Saturday, November the 20th. There's going to be a protest oppose the anti-rax far right at 12 noon at the State Library, Swanson Street in the city. Now, this is going to be an interesting protest because I think, um, even though we have reached very high vaccination rates, um, what was a bit disturbing was I think last weekend there was actually over a thousand people who gathered in an anti-vax, um, I mean, I just refer to it as anti-vax protest because it's not really anti-lockdown anymore. We used to refer to them as anti-lockdown protests, but I mean, given that we're not in lockdown, there's, it's not really, that's not really the context. These protests are continuously organizing against all the kind of public health measures that the government is being implemented. Um, you know, while we can obviously have criticism of them, but it's like what the, what this group is actually doing is they're actually against any, um, public measures taken in the name of public health. And of course, these are groups of people who actually deny that COVID is actually a serious illness. Um, they're connected with kind of far right kind of figures, just like a lot of these international movements have been. So I think this will be, uh, an important protest and counter protest to kind of support. And then the next kind of events to note is, um, I just want to kind of note there's on, um, this is in Geelong, on Sunday, November the 7th, there's going to be a protest, picnic to oppose the gas terminal, and that's going to be at the Moot Panel Park in, uh, in North Shore. 
so yeah, that's um, that's basically um, that's basically it in terms of the green left kind of activist calendar. But yeah, um, just more importantly, just make it announcement. Definitely get down to the Comp Twenty Six actions this weekend. Um, the first one will be on Friday, uh, five thirty p.m. Oh, well, tonight, five thirty p.m. outside the Liberal Party HQ. And but I think yeah, it'll definitely be. I think it'll definitely be an important. Um, I think all these Comp Twenty Six actions will definitely be important support. Okay, well, I might just go play. I'll play a quick. Um, I'll play a quick few announcements, and then we'll go on to our second interview for the program. You're listening to Green Left Radio. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we got the hell. Lots of changes, we need more brothers. Well, if you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, I sure know where you are. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. We'll check out the happy vibe. We're gonna ring up and subscribe. If you listen to 3CR, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe, the number is 94198377. You've been listening to the sand. You could never understand. Feel the fortune flowing. You know it isn't stuck. All right. You are listening to Green Left um, Radio. And on the line, um, we're very happy to have Tamadra Ali, um, who is a member of the Sudanese community within Melbourne. And for our listeners, you are probably aware that there's been a lot of kind of developments that have kind of happened in Sudan recently, including massive kind of protests against a uh, coup attempt um, by um, by the army chief um, within Sudan. So, yeah, good morning, Tamadra. Uh, good morning, Jacob. Okay. 
So to kind of start off um, this discussion and in, um, in this interview, um, can you give us, a go, I guess, a bit of a background, I guess, on the political situation in Sudan, especially for our listeners who might not know as much, um, I guess, in the kind of lead up to this kind of coup attempt by the army chief within Sudan? Uh, okay, uh, before I start it, um, I would like to acknowledge on behalf of uh, Sudanese Community Association in Victoria, the traditional uh, custodian of the lands on which we work, the Wurundjeri, Wurung, uh, and the Daru people, and of the lands our services reach out Australia. We pay respect to elders past, present, and the future. Uh, well, uh, to answer your question, the situation, before, the situation before the announcement of the military coup had deteriorating bef- between the civil and military component. That was about um, three, uh, two months uh, earlier. Uh, there had recently been verbal altercations between their members on social media platforms. There was also a fear from the military side that if it's handed over power to the, the civilian component, which was supposed to be uh, today, 5th of November, uh, 21, they are accused of uh, perpetrating the radical sitting at the general command venue back in uh, 3rd of June, 2019, which claimed the lives of hundreds of young people from the December 2018 revolution. So that's that's exactly what happened. That's the background of why they decided uh, to do this military coup right now. Yeah. And I guess what can you, I guess, tell us in, in, I guess, more kind of detail about about this kind of rec- this coup attempt by the army chief um, general Abdul Fattah al burun in, in Sudan. I guess what has been sort of some of the actions that they've sort of taken as part of this coup and how it sort of impacted on on Sudan. Yeah. So what happened was uh, on Monday, 25th of October, uh, early in the morning, uh, around three o'clock in the morning, he. Um, uh, Sudanese radio and television buildings were occupied by a military force affiliated with the Sudanese army. So General Burhan then, and at midday, uh, he read out a statement announcing what he called uh, measures to correct the cause of the glorious December 2018. Uh, in that uh, statement, he declared a state of emergency. Uh, suspending work with seven articles of the constitutional document. This is the document um, there were a mutual agreement to be uh, to as a reference to be a reference for uh, both components, the military and the civilian component in the government, uh, to take it um, to rule through it. So he actually um, suspended seven main important articles. Uh, of this document, he also arrested most of the ministers of the civilian component in the transitional government, also placing the prime minister under house arrest up until now. He also released state uh, governors um, from their uh, duties and relieved six of ambassadors who denounced the military coup also appointing some leaders of the dissolved Islamic Conference Party. So it was obvious it's a coup, 
against the process of democratic transformation, which stipulated in the constitutional document. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, and I guess what, the more kind of expiring kind of thing, I guess that has kind of happened in response to this coup attempt. Not um, not that it's a good thing that it's happened, but what has been quite expiring to look at from afar has been um, has been the kind of kind of ma- has been kind of like the mass kind of protests that have been kind of called in response. And I guess what has I guess been the general kind of response of the people of Sudan to this coup attempt, and what can you tell us about some of these protests that have been called, I guess, in response? Uh, you know, the Sudanese people have uh, more experience now after uh, the um, December Revolution. So what they did, they did not accept that, of course. So since the declaration of the military coup uh, uh, general, by General Al-Burhan, all Sudanese people hit the streets to condemn uh, the coup and request immediate restoration of the civil-led uh, government. And then on 30th of October, the people of Sudan inside the country and abroad organized uh, massive rallies. The, uh, uh, the protests and rallies sent clear message to the world and made it clear to the to them uh, to the civil civilian trans, uh, government transitional government needs to be restored. Also, uh, civil disobe- uh, disobedience and political strikes declared and uh, is still on action now. Hmm. And yeah. and I guess I mean um, this is just before that I ask the kind of, ne- kind of next question. I guess what has been the response of the Sudan government to these kind of protests, like the military sort of leadership, like what has been the kind of extent of repression um, that these sort of protests have kind of faced? Uh, since since uh, the uh, Declaration of the 25th of, uh, you know, military coups. There were been uh, lots of arrests um, and armed uh, peaceful protesters, and also there were been tortures, uh, the killing. So far, it's 14. It's uh, confirmed that there's 14 uh, deaths. Um, all of them are young uh, uh, me, uh, boys, and um, also there's a girl. Also, there is around 160. There's um, it's uh, been uh, critically wounded, and now they are in hospitals. Not to mention the detention of of everybody saying that um, uh, we don't want this military coup. So there's everybody against that, uh, and they have their power and voice uh, in the Sudanese community were being detained, and now we, it's. They've been detained in unknown places, and um, we received news yesterday uh, saying that uh, four of the of the ministers uh, of the uh, on the cabinet uh, that were being detained immediately uh, before the announcement of the statement of the uh, military coup, they are actually fighting for their lives, and also. Um, Unknown where their places are. Hmm. And I guess yeah. um, going into that, I want to sort of um, have a uh, have a bit of question about some of the politics of the protest kind of movement. And I guess what can you tell us about some of the civil groups and political organisations that have been involved in the protests? And I guess what are some of the demands that are guess being put forward um, yeah. um, 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 by the by this kind of protest kind of movement? 
Yeah, we have, uh, right now, we have the Central Leadership Council of Forces of Freedom. And um, uh, this uh, led by uh, Freedom and Change, actually. They called the Central Leadership Council of the Forces of Freedom and Change. This led by four main political parties and represents the force of freedom and change. They actually demanding uh, that the acknowledgement that what took place was a military coup, and um, they ask also to release members of the civilian council, the civilian ones, uh, also the membermen of the government, and all detainees has to be returning, um, has to be uh, you know released. Also, they, re- they demand returning uh, to the constitutional order before October 25th, uh, also overthrowing uh, the military coup, holding the military council accountable, and achieving justice for the martyrs and the wounded. The immediate need uh, for the prime minister, they also uh, demand the immediate need for the prime minister and uh, his ministers to carry out their duties. Also, on the other hand, we have the neighborhood resistant committees and the Sudanese professional association. Those people are more, they have more restricted uh, demands. They completely refuse uh, to negotiate uh, with the military and uh, demand the withdrawal of military from the, uh, uh, from the political process and uh, the accountability of all perpetrators of the 25th of the, uh, October coup and also the complete transition of the civilian government under the leadership of an independent cabinet consistent uh, of uh, technocrats. So this is the situation now of um, the main uh, political and uh, also, uh, you know, People's resistance uh, parties in Sudan. Yeah, well, that's that was I think a, a kind of very good um, summary, and I guess very kind of informative. And I guess um, to conclude, I guess um, this kind of interview and discussion. I guess, do you have any guess kind of final comments you'd like to make? And I guess more importantly, um, I have been aware that there has been a number of solidarity kind of protests um, organised in Melbourne um, by the Sudanese community. And I guess you know how can you know people, especially listeners, like you know support. Um, you know, stand in solidarity with what, um, with um, the Sudanese and 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 um, their and um, what they're resisting. And I guess, are there any sort of upcoming kind of protests or actions being organised in Melbourne by the Sudanese community in solidarity with the protests? Yeah, we. This is just the beginning. You know, there will be. Uh, I'm expecting that uh, there will be a long fight against this uh, military coup because they are not intending to uh, hunt out the power to Sudanese, uh, to, uh, you know, the civilian component. And uh, they are going, carrying on, on you know, um, appointing. Uh, they are also have, um, uh, they, they will also, they will announce appointing a new prime minister. So what we do, we'll continue resisting that. And we at the Sudanese Community Association Victoria uh, staff, we denounce any attempt to uh, stand against the will of the Sudanese people to determine their uh, destiny and their choice of civilian rule. Also, we call all uh, concerned parties to achieve the will of the Sudanese people and condemn any use of violence against the defenseless uh, people of Sudan. 
as exercise their rights to express their will and stop the pressures against peaceful protesters. So we we will announce uh, more. We actually sent letters to the all the government representatives here in Australia, and uh, we organize. We we have um, uh, you know um, a one body that organizes the resistance uh, outside uh, uh, Sudan. So it contains. Uh, it includes all the activists. Um, in the uh, overseas, you know, uh, abroad, of Sudanese people abroad, for example, like us, uh, Sudanese Australians uh, people and others. Um, so we, we work um, along with uh, our peers uh, in Sudan to resist that. So there will be more rallies, there will be more, you know, and also we 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 have fundraising open now to uh, support um, the resistance inside uh, Sudan. So, yeah, there's lots of work to be done before this is over, and it's far from over. I expect that. Yeah. Well, thank you very much um, for all that, Mandra. And, yeah, well, we definitely, um, our program gives all wants to extend all the solidarity we can to um, what's happening in Sudan, and we completely, yeah, Unequivocally stand with the struggle um, against um, against this uh, military coup. So yeah, thank you very much, Tamandra. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to reflect on what's going on in Sudan, uh, Jacob. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. No, bye. Bye. All right. Um, so we're just um, having a discussion with Tamandra Ali, um, who is uh, a member of the Sudanese community um, within Melbourne and just having a bit of a, a good discussion about what's um, happening in Sudan because, yeah, what's happening in Sudan is there's a very expiring kind of mass movement um, popping up. And, I mean, in fact, this is also the legacy of, um, you know, the big sort of protest movement that happened in um, in 2019, um, which, you know, Green Left Radio, actually we covered a lot of kind of coverage of um, that particular movement. And, you know, just like how we did um, all the, um, a lot of coverage of that, we'll be continuing to do as much coverage as we can of of the big, ma- the big massive kind of protest movement that's happening on the ground there. So, yeah, expect more interviews and discussions coming up on, on that score in relation to what's happening in Sudan, because I think it is a very important kind of development that we need to be watching closely as um, socialists and as left-wing people, um, because, you know, just definitely kind of reflect... It is a definitely almost like a revolutionary situation kind of um, being posed there, especially with, um, given that the masses of people are developing like alternative sort of forms of democracy and, and so on in the course of this revolution, uh, of this sort of movement. Okay, well, um, I'll just go play a quick few announcements. We might just end with a few kind of um, quick sort of news stories. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio. Victoria, as we get ready to get back out there, you need to get your COVID-19 digital certificate ready too. First, create a MyGov account if you don't have one. Then, make sure your Medicare and MyGov accounts are linked. Then, add your COVID-19 digital certificate to the Service Victoria app. Then, get ready to go. Your vaccination is your ticket to everything you love and miss. For more on adding your vaccination certificate on your smartphone, go to coronavirus.vic.gov.au forward slash vaxproof. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. If you're a renter experiencing hardship due to the pandemic, 
You can check now to see if you're eligible to apply for the Victorian Government's new one-off rental relief grant worth up to $1,500. To help you, Tenants Victoria have put together an eligibility checklist. This will make it easier for you to assess whether you're eligible to apply for the grant, which is paid as a contribution towards rent. There are some steps involved to qualify for the grant. See the checklist for more information and visit the Tenants Victoria website for further details on how to apply. Go to tenantsvic.org.au and search for Rent Relief Grants. Tenants Victoria is a 3CR supporter. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio, and we're getting a bit to the close to the end of the program. But I just thought I'd just have a bit of a raise a bit of a kind of have a bit of a kind of short kind of discussion, um, because I guess some of our listeners have probably been aware that um, the ICA, I think what's the acronym again, Chloe? Sorry, oh, the I- ICAC. ICAC. Mm-hmm. Um, the the ICAC kind of hearings have been sort of going on for like the past several weeks, um, typically targeted at um, the recent, um, the former Premier Gladys Bekshinli. And um, one of the kind of interesting things is um, Jim kind of writes here um, in the latest in an article for Green Left um, that the New South Wales Corruption Inc. has been exposed. And... One of the kind of interesting kind of things is this kind of long-running saga of nor of new New South Wales corruption continues to kind of implicate former Liberal Labor and Liberal National MPs and over a long period of time. Former ministers in the last Labor government, um, Eddie Obed and Ian Macdonald, along with Obed's son, were sentenced to prison in um, in October over misconduct in public office. Obdid um, Senior was given a minimum three years and ten months sentence, and Moses at least three years. MacDonald will serve at least five years and three months. Yeah, Obid interview. has been freed. The, I mean, he's been granted bail. Oh yeah, so, so yeah. that's 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 oh. this is obviously it's a update yeah. um, article, but that's yeah. yeah, that's the I guess the just updating listeners. <laughs> And I guess what these men were kind of found guilty of at the time in terms of what their current, those conditions were is that, you know, they were found con- guilty of a conspiring over a coal e- exploration licence. MacDonald, then the resources minister, then granted the Obeds a licence at Mount Penny in the Bolong Rally. Two years ago, uh, Obed was sentenced to three years jail for misconduct on public office over cafe leases at Sukula Quay. Now, you know, the like, other kind of interesting kind of thing is in... There's also that level of kind of corruption, but currently the ICAC is currently hearing evidence that former Premier Gladys Bikashini used her position in public office to help her secret ex-boyfriend MP for Wagga Wagga, Daryl Macquire. You know, um, Bikashini um, famously declared last year that pork barrelling is not a crime. She's right, unfortunately. It may be that the public has had enough. Former um, Premier Mark Byard told ICAC he was incredulous that the um, Berkshulian, as Treasurer, did not declare a relationship with McGuire. She shared the, the Cabinet Expectations Review Committee in December 2016 that allocated $5.5 million to the Australian Clay Target Association to upgrade its headquarters in McGuire's electorate. Um, Berkshulian then arranged the proposal be given a priority, again, without declaring um, personal interests. And then recently retired um, Deputy Premier John Barlow um, told ACAC that um, 
Barry Jupian's handling of the gun club founding proposal, funding proposal was unusual. He agreed that Berjiklian should have declared her relationship with McGuire, claiming that the matter would be being handled differently if she had done that. And Berjiklian is also being investigated over a conflict of interest stemming from a grant to upgrade the Varunian um, Custodian of Music, also in McGuire's electorate. So yeah, there's all lots of suspicious mm. kind of things kind of happening here. And I guess um, she's probably not the only one. She's actually the third kind of Liberal Premier to resign over allegations of corruption after Barry O'Farrell and Nick Grainer were forced to. Twelve other Liberal and National MPs have also resigned due to corruption or found to be corrupt by New South Wales ICAT in the past decade. And I think, you know, really, to kind of end this point, because I think we're running out of time, the political... Jim Wright points out that the political system thrives on cultivating close relationships with corporations and using insider information to gain further financial advantages for MPs and corporations alike. The sell-off of public assets for, for a song to big business mates is other hallmark of New South Wales politics. And Berjikian and her coalition predecessors have encouraged the massive transfer of public funds to their corporate donors. And, you know, since 2011, they have privatised $82 billion um, of public assets, including hospitals, TAFE, roads, public hospital, transport, electricity networks, rail corridors, um, public land and public housing. And I think, you know, we need, obviously there's a need for stronger laws at both the state and federal level to uncover and punish corruption. But I guess this means that, that defending the state anti-corruption bodies from being gutted and setting up a federal um, ICAC with the power to hold public inquiries and investigate politicians, senior public servants and corporate executives. For these, we need mobilised communities um, to fight. And, you know, Green Left, give a bit of plug, has been for 30 years sought to connect to people and struggle with corruption in all its forms. If you like our work, you know, consider becoming a supporter. Mm. So, yeah, I'd like to um, just probably end um, end the program here and just say, like to thank all our listeners for tuning in this week. Um, if you like to, um, if you're just tuning, listening into the program now, we will be uploading a podcast of this kind of full program with all the interviews um, included. Um, so, yeah, check... Um, um, stay posted on the freecr.org.au website um, for that. Um, usually we upload it within probably a few hours or s- several hours or by the end of the day. Um, so, yeah, um, like to thank all our listeners um, for tuning in this week. And, yeah, definitely just one, one, one last plug, get down to the Comp26 protests this weekend um, um, with the one uh, with the rally at 1pm at the State Library being probably the main sort of rally, but there's also obviously other actions which I kind of mentioned before. Anyway, thank you. Um, thanks again, and you're listening to Green Left Radio. Bye, listeners. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit. If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au slash support or free call 1-800-634-206. Arise, you workers from your slumbers. Arise, you prisoners of want. For reason in revolt now thunders and at last since the age of Kant. Away with all your superstitions. Serve all masses. Arise. We'll change henceforth the old tradition and spurn the dust to win the prize. That's right, the commies are back. Reds underneath your beds and that crap.